Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. A dram of whiskey, of course, is one of life's little pleasures. But have you ever wondered how many units of alcohol are in the glass? According to the Scottish Government, around 8 out of 10 of us in Scotland don't know how many units of alcohol are contained in common drinks like a pint of beer or a glass of wine. The Made to Be Measured campaign seeks to change that For example, a single measure of Scotch whisky, Scotland's world-famous national drink, contains one unit of alcohol, while a pint of average-strength beer contains more than double that. Scotch whisky, it's made to be measured. Savour your scotch and find out more at scotch-whisky.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. Once again, they will wave away the lessons of history, try to present nationalism as a bridge to the world. We have to remind them it can barely provide a ferry out of the Hebrides. Hello and welcome to Hollywood Sources. We're recording on Wednesday, the 11th of October. I'm Callum McDonald. Thank you for finding us. If this is your first time, you're very welcome. You can press follow to make sure you never, ever miss an episode ever again. Or, indeed, you can press subscribe, which means you will not hear an advert. Uh, less than your licence fee to go ad-free is four ninety nine a month. Uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on Acast. And if enough of you do that, then Andy and Jeff might stop complaining about never being paid for doing the podcast. Uh, Jeff Aberdeen is here, former Chief of Staff to Alex Salmond. Hello, Jeff. Hello. I'll buy you a drink at SMP conference. Uh, Andy McKeever... <laughs> <laughs> He's just given me a look that says, I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, Andy McKeever is also here, former Director of Communications for the Scottish Conservatives. Hello, Andy. Hello. I'll buy you a drink as well. It's fine. I was going to say, I'm waiting for the next line. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, we're, I mean, it's all about fairness on this podcast. Don't worry. Yes, uh, and our guest for this week's episode, as we build up to conference and discuss, uh, well, everything else that's on the go at the moment, is uh, Stuart MacDonald, SNP MP for the Glasgow South constituency. Hello, Stuart. 
Hello, good to be here. Well, thanks for taking the time. It's great to see you. I mean, are you are you looking forward to conference? This actually is my first SNP uh, party conference, and so I'm I'm trying to gauge what I should expect this weekend. Uh, go in with no expectations, and all of it will be a nice surprise. Callum <laughs> okay. would be uh, my advice for going to any conference. I suspect. Yes, um, looking forward to it. It'll be a. Uh, it's going to be quite a big conference for us in terms of what we are what we are debating, um, not just on the independence issue, which I'm sure we'll cover, but loads of other big issues as well. And it's always good to to see folk uh, who you've probably many of them not seen since the last conference this time last year. So yeah, looking forward to it. Good. Can I just add, just very quickly, on this a little bit of um, lightheartedness, but the, the, the conference has moved the dates. Now it's now Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. But back in the days when I was in the SF it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, they are great events in terms of meeting up with people that you haven't seen in a long time and all the rest of it. But part of me always used to think, this is a weekend, right? There is football on the telly, there's lots going on, right? And folk are actually travelling long distances to be around politics. And I've always found that quite unique um, and, and actually quite amazing. <laughs> Folk would actually do that. So there is an important point, though, that that these folk really care about the future of the party. And those that turn up, there is something in that that's quite reassuring um, when all we hear is people disaffected with politics. That When lot- you say unique, though, you mean weird, right? <laughs> well, it is a bit weird, actually. I was going <laughs> to... <laughs> anyway, never mind. I just, I just find it extraordinary. But it's changed now. So it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. So it's in the working week. So mm. that's much better. So it's, it's so now people take now people take two days off work to spend thousands of pounds to go to a political party conference, yeah. which is even weirder than this in the football. The massive parliamentary recesses only a few weeks after everyone's gone back as well. It's a bit of a jolly this, isn't it, Stuart? <laughs> well, ours is uh, the recess is ends on Monday, so oh, right. we are there when Parliament is actually back. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> in terms of the times, but I think Hollywood's on recess at that time. I'm not mm. sure. But uh, who was it? Was it Damien? Was it Damien? Is it Damien McBride who was the Gordon Brown mm. advisor? He said party conferences are an 18 to 30 holiday with some speeches thrown in the middle. And, <laughs> you know, it was certainly like that before I was an MP, but less so when you're an MP, you're actually, you know, you're still at work, essentially. Yeah. But it'll be good fun. It will be good fun. We'll, we'll talk in a bit more Worst detail. Worst 18 to 30 holiday ever. <laughs> 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 yeah, I would say the age range is um, too narrow. Um, You've never been to a Tory party conference. You mean 18, not, 18 to 80? Tory party conference, not 18 to 30. You it's must, an 18 to 80 holiday that I used to go on. Scrabbling around for 18-year-olds at a Tory party conference. Yeah, well, that was yeah. just all the staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, lots more to come uh, on conference. As Stuart says, there's some really big, important things facing the SNP at their party conference in Aberdeen. So we'll do that before the end of the podcast. Uh, lots actually to discuss this week. It has been a busy week. There's also been Labour Party conference, which has just wrapped up uh, in the last sort of 24 hours or so. So we'll discuss some of what Sir Keir Starmer had to say at that as well. But we want to start with the situation in the Middle East, actually. Um, a really pressing, important and indeed evolving situation. So as we record this on Wednesday morning, um, things, of course, could really have escalated by the time you're listening. Uh, just by way of kind of the top headlines right now, the Israeli military says hundreds of 
thousands of troops are near the Gaza border, ready to execute the mission we have been given, is what they've said. Israel's expected to launch a ground offensive on the Gaza Strip soon. It says the mission is to, quote, make sure Hamas won't have any military capabilities, um, which is kind of notable in terms of the strength of the language uh, that is on display at this point. Uh, Scotland's First Minister, Hamza Youssef, has of course said this week that his parents-in-law are trapped in Gaza. He has uh, unequivocally condemned the attacks by Hamas in Israel. Uh, uh, First Minister said his wife's parents um, travelled to Gaza to see her father's sick mother. Israelis, the Israelis have told them to leave, but Mr Yusuf says they have no way to get out. Um, Andy, just to come to you on this first of all, the kind of the political responses from across the UK... Um, I think it's fair to say our, our, from party leaders uh, are now pretty much unanimous. Is that fair to say? How, how are you kind of analysing the responses of party leaders across the UK? Um, yeah, I think we, yeah, I think we're at the stage now where the leader response is unanimous. Um, and that's good, obviously. Um, look, I'm not a fan of the Israeli government. haven't been for a long time. I'm certainly not a fan of this one. I don't think they do their people or the region or the world or Judaism, frankly, any favours. Um, and I believe in Palestinian statehood. I always have. I believe in it based on a two-state solution. I think there's merit in a three-state solution, but that's for another day, um, on green line borders. Um, it's an incredibly complex place. I've always been very interested in it, and it's much more complicated than the most of the people who've been commenting over the last few days, certainly in this country, understand. And we, of course, there is a role now for us to play in making sure that we do whatever we possibly can to ensure that Israel exercises as much restraint as it can in what is the most densely populated place in the world and where targeted strikes are effectively impossible. But what happened on Saturday isn't complicated, in that sense, there's no need for any what about today or on the one hand this and on the other hand that. There's no moral equivalence. Um, Hamas went from home to home. They kidnapped, raped, murdered whole families. We now hear yesterday that they um, slit the throats of babies. It's the biggest one-day slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. We're talking here about Nazi-level act of terrorism. It's just unspeakable is the most it's the worst terrorist atrocity of our lifetimes and you know listeners of this podcast will know that we try to be reasonable we try to be fair i've worked with politicians of all sides for 20 years i know them i like them um and lots of them including stuart who's very welcome on the podcast today lots of them came out immediately and called this what it was and Stuart was one of them on Saturday. Stuart did that. Came out immediately, terrorist attack, unequivocal, no none of the what about today, none of the moral um none of the uh, moral equivalence. But not everybody did. Um we had members of our parliament who said that Palestinians have a right to attack their occupiers, who said that what happened was a consequence of Israeli aggression. Um, and many said nothing at all. Uh, look, I, you know, I don't care about some of the Twitter lunatics who couldn't find Gaza on a map, but I do care about our elected people. 
Um, <clears throat> Take your time. I'm not. A, I, I, I'm not. I'm not a flag waver, right? I don't really do the. I don't really do the symbolism stuff, but we do as a country do that, and that's fine. And we've done it for Ukraine, uh, and we've done it in the past for Palestine as well, um, and in London, in. Uh, <clears throat> Okay, Andy. John, take a sec. Yep. No, no, it's okay. Okay. Um, in Paris, in Berlin, in New York, all over the world, uh, we're they're flying Israeli flags, um, but we've decided that we're going to sit this one out. So, you know, Scotland supports victims of terrorism all over the world, but we've now placed an asterisk on that support, and that asterisk says, "Except Israel." And accept Jews. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, yeah. I'm trying to use the right adjectives because we've got a platform here, and words really matter. But um, I just feel quite a lot of shame about this, really. Stuart, I wonder if you'd like to respond first of all to what Andy's been saying. Well, I think that the only response you could give to what happened on Saturday was outright condemnation. Um, You know, I've been involved uh, since before I was an MP, was involved in kind of, you know, pro-Palestinian groups. I helped set up the SNP's Friends of Palestine not long after I was elected, Um, maybe just under a year after I was elected, helped them draft their constitution. Um, I was sworn in as an MP uh, with the Palestine flag and the salt iron interwoven on a lapel pin. Palestinian solidarity means a lot to me, always has done. Um, And, you know, you can find that right across the political spectrum, as Andy, Andy rightly says. But what happened on Saturday was not resistance, Uh, It was not the act of uh, advancing Palestinian statehood. Um, It has set Palestinian statehood back. I don't think we've quite realised quite how much it has set it back just yet. I think the ramifications of what happened on Saturday have still to be played out. And whilst, yes, as Andy says, there's a, a long, historic and complex uh, history at play here, slitting babies' throats, going house to house to hunt down innocent civilians, butchering people enjoying a music festival, has a way of cutting through all of that. And if at the end of that, you can't bring yourself just to call it what it was, the worst kind of barbarism uh, imaginable, as Andy says, the, the biggest daily slaughter of Jewish people since the Holocaust, as well as many people from around the world who would have been visiting Israel as tourists, if you can't just come out and call that what it was, I think there's something wrong. And and I do think you should be able to say you stand in solidarity with the people of that country, with the people of Israel who have experienced that awful, horrendous uh, terrorism. And that doesn't diminish in any way, shape or form. Uh, my desire to see a prosperous, uh, secure, freely independent Palestinian state living side by side with a prosperous, secure, 
uh, Israeli state. Israel has the right to, as Andy has set out, defend itself and degrade the military capabilities of Hamas. I hope it does that in a way that is as understanding of the complex, the, the physical geography of, of uh, Gaza, which is you know immensely densely populated. Um, there will undoubtedly, unfortunately, be more civilians to die. Um, but I think that there, are, you know, there was so much stuff swirling around of people wanting to give history lessons and lessons in geopolitics and all the rest of it. And you know, sometimes being right on something on a, a narrow point of history isn't really the point. Um, what happened was just unspeakably horrendous. Mm. And of course, we should have solidarity with the victims and the, and the people of and the people of Israel after experiencing that. I don't think that's difficult or controversial at all. But it has it has proved a little difficult for some. I think is is part of the point that, that Andy was just making, and and some actually yeah, and, that are, and I, you know in government with the SNP or or of the party that's in government with the SNP. And I think that's down to two things. There has always been a lot of noise around. Um, the issue of Israel and Palestine. Uh, I, I have fallen victim to it myself in the past when I helped, was trying to help set up a group within the SNP um, that contained pro-Israel voices as well as pro, pro-Palestine voices. There's, there's a lot of noise around it that's deeply unhelpful. And whilst you know there, there is no shortage of people who want to give history lessons around this, um, I think one of the things we've also forgotten, and there was a very good article by William Hague in the Times earlier this week, we've also forgotten the modern day context, which is Israel starting to normalize relations with other Arab and Muslim neighbors. And the hand of Iran uh, and groups like that are never far away in trying to spoil these things. So, yes, there's a historical narrative. Everybody understands that. But there's a present day and modern narrative to consider as well. And I think that too many people just want this to be open, closed, black and white, Um, you know, no space for not just the nuances, but even just basic humanity, Mm. which is to say this kind of terrorism is wrong. And yes, we have solidarity with the victims and the country, the people of the country, Israel, who are the victims. And that doesn't diminish at all your desire to see, you know, people in Gaza not fall victim uh, to the kind of punishment that they are now going to fall victim mm. to. Is, I mean, you're, you're speaking so articulately on this, Stuart, and you're right, nuance is important. This is one of the most complex contexts of a situation to discuss, you know, ever. And it always is, it consistently is. I do just want to kind of focus our minds just for a second on Maggie Chapman, uh, the Green MSP who represents North East Scotland. And let me read from The Times. Uh, Hamza Youssef, this is on Monday, Hamza Youssef, the First Minister, has been urged to kick the Greens out of government in Scotland after an MSP was accused of making disgusting and vile comments in the wake of the Hamas attacks on southern Israel. Uh, this is Maggie Chapman. She took to social media and wrote, What is happening in Palestine? Palestine is a consequence of apartheid, of illegal occupation and of imperial aggression by the Israel state. Palestinian civilians have seen their homes destroyed, their water stolen and their land appropriated illegally. Hashtag Gaza under attack. Hashtag Viva Palestine. Uh, The Times adds this context. In 2015, the Scottish Greens passed a motion at their conference calling for, quote, 
the removal of Hamas from the designation as a terrorist organisation and seek to work with all parties who can contribute to the end of the occupation of Palestine by non-military means. Uh, What is the correct response for the SNP, for the First Minister to take to their partners in government after all of this? Well, look, Maggie Chapman is not in the SNP and it's not for the SNP to discipline Maggie Chapman. Maggie Chapman has to answer for herself. I thought it was the wrong thing to say at the wrong time. Uh, I hadn't actually realised what you had said there, Callum, about the a previous motion they had passed about you know seeking to work with groups like Hamas. I didn't realise that that was actually their position. Uh, but I think what Hamza Yusuf is responsible for is both the Scottish government's response which his and Agnes Robertson, who has responsibility for, for this area, uh, both of whom have had incredibly strong responses. Uh, and I think, I suspect there will be, I hope at least there will be some some background chats in the background to say, for goodness sake, wisen up, guys. You know, pick your moments and pick your words. Um, and it's for the Greens and, and Maggie Chapman to decide what happens with her next. Do I think it merits uh, an end to the governing agreement I don't think it merits that, and I don't think it's helpful to try and take what's happened there and somehow press it on to our domestic political issues, which we're all too good at doing. Uh, you know, I remember this was even going on when the 22 invasion of Ukraine uh, was happening. This is a deeply unhelpful line to go down. Mm. But, yeah, I, I, just, I, I saw the tweet at the time, and I, I sort of shook my head and thought, for goodness sake, um, there is a time, there is a place... You know, I confess I have used language in the past that I I wouldn't use now. Um, But what we saw should really have inspired a shred of humanity and decency, not not an opportunity to to finger wag. What happened on Saturday was not the result um, of what has gone on uh, historically in Palestine. It was the result of a a barbaric, murderous ideology. and I can promise you that Hamas would have somebody like me, you know, an openly gay man strung up from a lamppost uh, without second thought. I suspect, you know, other people in Maggie Chapman's party would, would meet the same fate. Hamas is a, Hamas is a horrendous uh, terrorist organisation. And just condemn them. I don't understand why, why people thought their correct response to what we've seen um, was a kind of lesson in geopolitics and history. There will be plenty of time for that in future. Yeah. Uh, we'll bring Jeff in in just a second. Uh, it is a conversation, Stuart, and I realise I'm, I'm just asking you questions at the moment, but I think it's important. Right. No, 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 it's, it's, it's good to get your, your take on all of this. And I actually just want to come back to the fact that you've heard that motion that the Greens passed in 2015 for the first time. And so to get your immediate response to it, does that, does that change your view of the Scottish Greens? It doesn't massively surprise me, I have to be honest. Um, I'd be lying if I said I, I, I was surprised. Um, but I, I think it, I think it's naive at best. You cannot work with an organisation, um, a terrorist organisation, intent on the, well, who have carried out the slaughter and murder of innocent civilians. You know, much in the same way, I would say, you cannot expect um, Ukrainians to sit down uh with the with the the Russian government as they are butchering their own people in their own country, this is um, I don't want to draw comparisons between the two because I think that's unhelpful. Mm. Um, but Hamas is not Hamas has zero interest 
in uh, in advancing peace or stability and independence and prosperity of, of Palestine. None whatsoever. Jeff, coming on this, then I mean, I I suppose you know to to sort of consider our remit on this podcast and to consider what we've already heard both from Stuart and Andy both speaking so articulately and powerfully on on the situation has have Scotland's politicians let Scotland down by way of the response to the situation this week if you don't mind I'll come to that uh, yeah sure answer in a, in a second that, that question I've listened very carefully to what Andy very emotively and Stuart extremely comprehensively put forward and I've always had a bit of a golden rule in in these types of discussions as I, I talk about and offer commentary and analysis and things that I'm equipped to do so. And I, I, I don't have enough knowledge about the situation in Gaza offer significant um, contribution other than to say, I don't care what side you're on or who you are rooting for or supporting or aligned with ideologically. When you saw the images come through, whoever the perpetrators of that are, must be condemned. And I'd say that on any side of any debate when you see that type of viciousness and cruelty and callousness. And I thought Stuart said something really interesting about the um, kind of hypertension of social media and people willing to react and respond to things without fully comprehending what they're seeing before them. This was a human tragedy. In terms of our politics, I think every country around the world has groups, sections within it that take differing views. I think the most important thing is that our leaders seem to have been, particularly among Western democracies, as Andy touched on, have all been united in the same belief uh, in terms of condemning this initial terrorist attack. And that is the right course Mm. of action. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for engaging with what is a difficult and complex issue and uh, requires nuance and attention to detail and as we say it is uh, an evolving situation when it comes to the situation in the middle east um and so we will uh, continue i'm sure to reflect on it on this podcast in the weeks to come uh, lots more to come on hollywood sources over the course of the podcast episode we will give you a proper preview of snp conference and the various important motions that are coming up at that we're going to talk about what makes for good government And we're going to talk about Labour's party conference. How does Labour and the SNP, how do they fight out this next general election, which is upcoming, well, by the end of next year? Uh, All of that's to come on Hollywood Sources. Stay with us. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hollywood Sources is proud to be brought to you by the Scotch Whiskey Association's Made to Be Measured campaign. Did you know that the recommended weekly limit of 14 units of alcohol equates to five pints of beer at average strength, or one and a half bottles of wine, or 14 single measures of spirits? If you didn't know that, well, you're not alone, actually. The majority of people who choose to drink alcohol do not know how many units are contained in the most common drinks. Informed consumers, though, make more responsible choices. And so the Made to be Measured campaign is supporting people across Scotland to understand more about the units in their glass. Made in Scotland and enjoyed around the world, Scotch whisky should always be enjoyed responsibly. Find out more by visiting scotch-whiskey.org.uk forward slash made to be measured. This is Hollywood Sources. Thanks very much for being with us. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to the podcast. And of course, you can have your say as well. You can email us anytime. The email address is hello at hollywoodsources.com. Jeff and Andy are here, as is Stuart McDonald, SNP MP, in conversation for the next little while on the pod. Right, let's turn to elections and electoral prospects. And well, Jeff, we want to talk about um, some interesting comments uh, uh, from Anna Sarwar this week. So uh, context for this, it was Labour Party conference over the last few days. Uh, Scotland was getting quite a lot of love, actually, from Sir Keir Starmer, but also from Anna Sarwar, who appears to be learning lessons from none other than Alex Salmond. Uh, <laughs> can you believe it? Well, you probably can. He was quite a successful politician, I suppose. Uh, well, <clears throat> I was actually um, reflecting, um, and I was getting towards this in our, our post-match analysis of the by-election about the move to the centre ground from the Labour Party. And if you recall when Annas did our podcast back in April, I believe, um, I, I put a tweet out afterwards because I was so interested in what he was saying because everything he was saying was quite familiar to me. And I was obviously um, in the party uh, in the preceding years to the 2007 election victory between 2004 and seven, And there was a huge amount of work that went on to try and present ourselves as a government in waiting. And there was deliberate policy uh, manoeuvres and there was an outreach to uh, the business community that thus far, before then, had viewed the SNP with a bit of uncertainty and trepidation. And then I saw this um, column from Paul Hutchin. It hasn't been picked up hugely, um, but he said, Sarwar has shifted to the centre and is putting together a big tent with business at its heart. This is almost a replica of the SNP playbook between 2004 and 2007, where the SNP in opposition became a government in waiting. Salmond and Sturgeon put an emphasis back then on what they regarded as the failure of delivery by the Labour-led executive. Part of the focus was on council tax rises, pressure on the police officer numbers and crisis in the NHS. Two decades later, Sarwar is hammering the SNP on these three issues. Uh, and it struck me that they are. That's what they're doing. They are, they are playing what was the SNP playbook back then. Now, people can argue whether that's right or wrong, but that is what they're doing. And the threat is real. And it became you know, initially apparent to me way back when we spoke to Anis. But now we're seeing it kind of played out in reality. And now we've had uh, a real, real verdict of the people at the ballot box in Rother Glen. And so... I do wonder how the SNP will respond, and it's great to have Stuart on on this basis in terms of how they view this conference, because 
I think it is an opportunity. It is a set-piece opportunity. You don't get many opportunities where you've got the media spotlight on you and you alone as a party, which is offered by the broadcast media. And I just think, from my perspective, my advice, again, just my view, that if the SNP aren't careful, they're going to be outflanked on the very terms in which Labour were outflanked in 2007. And I've always believed that uh, that centre-left proposition, pro-growth, but seeking to improve our social provision um, and public services as a successful platform. And if SNP don't respond to this pretty quickly and in quite a, a profound fashion, I fear for them uh, in terms of electorally speaking. Stuart? I agree with much of that. You know, I think there's a, there's a, a quote that has been doing the rounds and you can you can see it everywhere over the past kind of year or so. You know, Michael Gove has used it. You can read it in the New Statesman on an almost weekly basis. I've used it. And it's the Gramsci quote where he says, the old is dying, new is struggling to be born. And they're in the interregnum, there are a great series of, of um, morbid symptoms. And I think that's where we are. Zoom right out, zoom right out of Scottish politics and look at the global social economic insecurities that are ripping through all countries, all democratic countries in, in the Western world. And then think about how they're ripping through Scotland. Think about how they ripped through Rutherglen and West Hamilton at the recent by-election. That's what we need to have in our minds as we construct this platform, You know, whether it's climate change, inflation, um, migration, war in Europe, you know, all of these great big uncertainties that are causing people to, you know, I listened to, to, to Starmer's speech and he hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, people are having to go without things, they're having to put things back on the shelves in supermarkets, they're having to not go the family holidays uh, and cut back on just the small treats and, and niceties that make life good. We need to have a platform that answers that. And I think the platform that answers that is built around the pillars of prosperity, resilience, fairness, a centre-left platform that Jeff, that Jeff outlines. And as all these big, you know, Scottish politics is changing big time right before us. The voters of Rutherglen just showed us that. We should not run away from it. We should run towards it. We should lean into it. There are... You know, Stephen Noon, I think, quite correctly said at the weekend, there are opportunities for us here as well. There is no rule that says Labour has to come back in Scottish politics and be the dominant force. But equally, if we don't get our shit together, as I can see our opponents in the Labour Party are starting to get us together, and don't get me wrong, I still have many criticisms of them, then we seek that territory, we seek that we see the ideas that have allowed us to dominate Scottish politics for, for 16 years. And crucially for the SNP, independence just moves further and further away. If we cannot really quite understand and construct a platform around the big, big shifts and changes that are, that are happening right now. Mm. That's very interesting. Andy, I, that is interesting, isn't it? You know, what Stuart says there. Labour don't necessarily have a right to just come back and start dominating Scottish politics again. And Anna Sarwar, as part of conference and, and uh, as you know, as Jeff was saying, the spotlight being on Labour over the last few days, as will happen with the SNP this coming weekend, Anna Sarwar has ruled out any kind, that's the quote, any kind of Holyrood coalition, says he would lead a minority government. Um, 
where where are Labour in Scotland post Labour Party conference, post Rother Glen and Hamilton West by election victory, and perhaps learning from the SNP's playbook of a few years ago? Well, there's, there's a lot to be compared between the SNP and Labour. We have compared in the past on this podcast the Labour of 2007, the complacent Labour, with the SNP of 2023. And we, we have made that comparison. From a Labour point of view, here's a distinction that I think is important. Does the Labour Party think we have made a mistake and we have now rectified it and that's why we're back in the game? Or does the Labour Party think the Scottish people have made a mistake and they have now rectified it and that is why we are back in the game? Now, those two things are fundamentally different. Um, And if the Labour Party think that the problem was that the people made an error and have now seen the error of their ways, then that's a problem for Labour. And I think there are people in Labour who think that way. There are other people in Labour who think we have to learn the lessons from how badly we screwed up and not get it wrong again. And that will be a fundamental theme that will run through this. We could have Labour in power in Westminster and Holyrood in two and a half years. That is a viable thing now. Um, and I think how the how the past informs that will be pretty important here, I think. A couple of specific points on what you raised. Um, competence is the important word here. One of the big reasons that the SNP won in 2007 is because the voters bought into them being likely to be a competent government. It's very similar to what people are buying into with Starmer right now. Nobody thinks Starmer's a rock star, right? You know, the glitter that was on his shoulder yesterday is as close as it gets to stardust for Keir Starmer, (laughs) let's be honest. Very good. Nobody thinks this guy's a rock star, but what they think he is, is in a time of political and economic chaos, they think he is solid and boring, and that is what they want. Okay, Um, we are at a point in Scotland, I think, where we've had 16 years of SNP government. And for the bulk of that 16 years, you may have been able to accuse the SNP of a variety of things. If you if you were an opponent of the SNP, you might not have liked their direction of travel. You might not have liked a variety of things, but you wouldn't have said they were crap. (laughs) You wouldn't have said they were incompetent. You would have said they were competent people who might have done things with which you disagreed. Their problem at the moment, and um, whether it's real or not, is actually a different discussion, right? That's well, let's not get into that right now. There is a perception of incompetence at the moment. Um, the ferries are, frankly, a, a really prime example of that, but there are others as well. There is a perception that this is a government that can no longer do things that isn't any longer competent. And that, ultimately, is the thing that Anas Sarwar will try to exploit. It will be that competence. He'll be saying, I can get things done. They've had enough, Mm. and it's my turn to get things done now. Mm. And final word, um, the the minority thing, yes, is a bit of an Alex Hammond playbook, but it's also very clever by Anas Sarwar. The polling at the moment is suggesting that there will be a unionist party majority in Hollywood. Now, Again, let's presume it's true for these purposes and that there, that 65-plus seats in the Scottish Parliament will be held by either Labour, the Tories, or, or the Lib Dems. And that Sarwar can easily afford to say he's going to run a minority government because the last thing he wants to do 
is to get into any sort of agreement with the Tories. That's toxic for any party in Scotland to get into an agreement with the Tories. But he doesn't have to, because the Tory supporters will never, ever forgive them for not ensuring that there is a unionist first minister in Holyrood. Anna Sarwa will have the Tories' tacit support, and what he will have to offer for that support is precisely nothing at all. It's free. <laughs> uh, Stuart, with that in mind, uh, how much trouble is Hamza Yusuf in at this point, electorally speaking? I don't think I don't think it's about narrowing it down to saying the first minister's in trouble. Uh, though you know the first minister is is only a few months into office. He's had his first electoral test, which. You know, to be blunt, we were never going to win, but we've been scalped pretty badly in it, you know, way worse than any of us thought would happen. And I think what we, what the First Minister needs to do, what, what you know, our group at Westminster needs to do is just kind of step back a wee bit from the day-to-day trench fighting of the news cycle and the political cycle and work out what our big idea is again and find a way to make politics sing. And I think there's a lot to be said for kind of government in the background uh, after all the chaos of Brexit, all the chaos of Liz Truss, all the chaos that we're seeing economically, the war in Europe, all of these things, and just getting things done, getting things done well and delivering for people. That starts with understanding you know, where people are at at the minute, and I do think Hamza does understand that. He just needs to get the government's mojo back to being seen as a government that, yes, stands up for Scottish interests, which the Scottish government always pulls well on, but also is able to competently deliver. He does need to turn that round fairly quickly. Um, you know, if you think back to the point I made in my column in the Scots of the Weekend, if you think back to when Harold Wilson gave his white heat of technology speech, on the BBC Lunchtime News, Robert McKenzie, who was the John Curtis of his day, mm. went on the Lunchtime News and said, Harold Wilson has just shifted the Labour Party forward by 50 years in the space of 50 minutes. It's that kind of ambition, action and thinking that we need to see right across both government and party in the SNP once again. If we can get to that space then I think we can absolutely take Labour on. But it's going to require discipline. It's going to require big thinking. It's going to require a real understanding um, of where we're at and fighting against also the natural laws of politics, which what goes up must come down. I think we can do it. We just need the determination and the discipline to do it. So I don't think he's in trouble, but we're we're in troubled waters, I would say. (laughs) Well, well put, uh, Stuart. Um, if I may return to that piece I was reading from before, because I really want to get Stuart's views on on this particular. The main lesson Sarwar and his team have learned from uh, Salmond on ind- is on independence. The former First Minister decoupled voting SNP from independence by promising a referendum at a later date. You can oppose independence, the argument ran, but then the need not stop you from voting for a competent government. And essentially, that is what... Uh, um, Anna Sarwar is also seeking to do understanding that <clears throat> a lot of the votes that he took for, on, on Thursday night, or at least a portion of them, must have come from previous SNP supporters. So you play the ball where it lies in politics. I, I know that uh, as well as everyone else on this call. And the ball where it's lying just now, 
means that the current independent strategy, without going into the rights and wrongs and what's and wherefores of it, we've explored that before, is that the biggest problem is that nobody believes it. Uh, nobody in Scotland believes it. I don't think many people in the SNP themselves believe it. But most importantly, nobody at Westminster in a political decision-making capacity believes it either. So I've previously put forward that perhaps now is the time to fight the next general election, not on independence, but on the areas of policy where we, the SNP that is, could outflank Labour. So on things like immigration, on things like single market, on other issues that Labour would find quite difficult to defend. Yes, advance the case for having more powers and independence within that, but not making it a de facto on independence. And no doubt the SNP will lose seats at this election, we all agree, but trying to hold on to what you can for standing up for Scotland at Westminster on real policy issues and then putting the whole argument to the touch in 2026. Because remember, it was the Scottish Parliament elections in 2011 that dictated there would be a referendum, not at Westminster. Um, and you and you thus buy yourself some time to recalibrate the party because there's a hell of a need of recalibration um, towards that. And what do you view in terms of that way forward? I know it might annoy some supporters of independence, but far better for it not to be defeated at 24 and try and put it to the touch in 26 when you have time to prepare a meaningful strategy. Well, Jeff, you will know, right, there's only one thing worse than annoying your own supporters, and that's annoying the electorate. Um, you can get away with annoying your own supporters up to a point, but if you piss off the electorate, then you can just kiss goodbye. And I think we, one of the, I've outlined before all my reasons why I didn't support and don't support a de facto referendum at all. But I think the problem, why we've landed in this position where we're even discussing this is because we're trying to solve the wrong problem. We're trying to resolve our own frustration rather than saying we're hovering on independent support at around 50%, give or take, clearly we still have a job to do on the case. And then there's the current political, the current political environment where we have to be able to go into that next election on the terms that voters are setting. And yes, of course, you want to move the dial on independence. You want to, you want to be able to talk about how you can transform Scotland with the powers of independence, but not to make it a de facto referendum. And on the point you made earlier about decoupling support from independence and support from the SNP, if you seek to undo that, it's very difficult to get it back again in future. And it was one of the masterstrokes uh, of the SNP in the past. And I think we're in real danger here of misunderstanding our own party's history. And when we, when we seek to build a big coalition, dominate the centre ground, that's when we've been at our most successful. And if we misread history and misread the current political environment and end up doing what I worry we might end up doing, which is a rush to the base, a rush to kind of, you know, a more fundamentalist, um, urgent, um, tub-thumping type of uh, independent support, I just don't think the country will listen to it. So I think that, yes, there's, there's ground there for us to take Labour on. You rightly mentioned a couple of them, single market, uh, immigration, more powers. There's absolutely ground there to take Labour on. And on the independence issue... Let's get it right. Let's not rush to get it quick, because I think down that way, there, there lies, bluntly, I think there lies few victories and many losses. 
Do you know, just the last part of what Stuart said there is very interesting. We, one thing that I think people don't talk about enough, both in politics and Scottish politics in general, but also inside the SNP, is the fact that the only time there's ever been an SNP government and a Labour government at the same time was between 2007 and 2010. Mm. Um, and independence wasn't on the table between 2007 and 2010 because it was a minority SNP administration working with unionist parties, primarily the Tories. Um, and, and nobody thought there was going to be a majority. This was in the old days when we thought majority was impossible. There has n- and, since, and then the SNP got a majority in 2011. And from then until now, we spent 12 years talking about independence and the Tories have been in government for that entire 12 years. And bear in mind that if there was one theme that ran through every single SNP and uh, independence campaign since then, it has been that you have to vote for us to get rid of the Tories. That has been a very clear theme. As soon as Keir Starmer walks through the door of Downing Street, that argument is dead, completely dead. And I just wonder if internally the SNP have understood that at the flick of a switch when Labour walk into Downing Street, they could lose a raft of voters who have been voting for the SNP thinking that that's true and now realise that it's not. I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, My view is that quite a lot of SNP support, I mean, if you look at the fact that they've been, you know, topping out at 45% of the electorate, I think a lot of that support is potentially quite soft. And I think a lot of it is potentially susceptible to saying, "Mm, okay, the Tories are gone now, so we've got some more options. And actually, let's take a little look at Labour for 2026, because that is now one of the options that we have on the table. We can vote for Labour risk-free now, because we've got rid of the Tories anyway. We don't have to vote SNP anymore. I am not convinced how much that possibility has sunk in. So I think this is why we need to... The first thing we need to keep, right, is we have to keep the psychology of being a governing, a modern governing national party. And so much of Scottish politics has changed since we came into office in 2007. You know, we've, we've got a Labour Party that is resurging, certainly down south, is eating into our support in Scotland. We've got a Conservative Party that's just absolutely lost its mind, especially over the past year. And you've got all of these insecurities which are at the the forefront of every single voter's uh, mind. If we're not able to, with the psychology of a national governing party, still seeking and determined to achieve Scottish statehood, in the modern world. If we're not able to put together a platform that can speak to those people, then what Andy has just said will come to pass. I think we can do that. And I think it requires, you know, just as the country has changed, the world has changed, so we must change with it. And if we don't do that, parties that refuse to change will just die. Um, And it might mean upsetting some supporters who really want to have independence tomorrow, I really want to have independence tomorrow, but you don't always get everything on your own terms. So we can put together a platform that I think is centre-left. You can build a big coalition around it. You can speak to the kind of Scotland that you want to create 
one that's fit for the modern world, yes, with more powers, but also with independence. And we should not shy away from that. There are many opportunities in building a platform around that. There are few opportunities around a more fundamentalist, short-termist, election-to-election type of approach. We need to think much bigger, long-term, more strategic. And be ruthless. and if I may um, just 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 add to that, Andy, you put forward a very interesting case there, and 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 it's and it's certainly right that could happen. But I think that reinforces the need to fight the next electoral contest on the issues on which a, a Labour government right now would not be minded to support um, um, in terms of further powers around immigration, around yeah. single market membership, and the importance of that, and the powers that we are we need to to undertake the green industrialisation of Scotland and the full fiscal levers you need for that. And if you do it on that basis, you're making the case, I hate to use the word subliminally, but you're, you're making the case for why further powers is necessary. And when they are not forthcoming, the political tactics come in to say, you didn't deliver any of this, we still have these same requirements, that's why we're putting it to the touch in 26. That seems to, to me, I mean, needs fleshed out semblance of a strategy. What I would be really disappointed is if we just go on this de facto thing, which means nothing to hardly anyone out there. I mean, I've not heard one person in the street mention this to me. Um, then, then you're only going to get what you deserve, and that is a, another scalping at the ballot box. At least better to do it on the terms of which can support your eventual um, outcome that you seek. The other thing, just a very brief point on that as well, on de facto, there's um, a difference in perception between a de facto argument when you're on the up and when you've just had a big election than there is in a de facto argument when you're you're going down. If you go from 48 to whatever, 30 seats, and you still meet your de facto criteria, you just get laughed at. I mean, no, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, what a great election you've had, and now you've met your criteria, so everything's fine, let's start negotiations. That is not credible, I'm afraid. It's just not. Mm. It also misreads our own supporters. Our own supporters are telling us that they have these other issues around the economy, public services, particularly the National Health Service, are at the forefront of their priorities going into the next election. So as well as misreading our own history, we're in danger of misreading our own support base right now. I really hope that that's not where we end up. Will it be then, uh, Is there? A, let me start with this, is there a risk and will it be detrimental if the SNP's conference this weekend is dominated by discussions on independent strategy? Is there a risk that happens? And if it does, would that be a bad thing for the SNP and indeed for Scotland? It's never good to look as though you're only talking to yourself as a political party. Mm. Um, in fairness, our agenda's packed with discussions on many of the other big challenges, migration, the green industrial revolution, you know, public services, all of these things, technology. But I think we have to do this. I think we have to go through this. I think it's necessary for us to go through this. Um, And it might even be we have to go through this more than once. Mm. Uh, We were obviously going to have this special conference earlier in the year, and then we had a change of leader and we've landed where we've landed. I do think this is necessary for us to go through. and, And Alan... Alan Smith makes his point in the in his column today. You know, this conference could be we could be embarking on as big a decision as we took back in the nineties on whether or not to participate in devolution. Uh, and uh, you know, I think this has been coming for a while. So I'm afraid we've just got to go. We've just got to go through with it. And why shouldn't we? We are the party of independence at the end of the day. But that 
our desire for independence must be rooted in reality in the here and now with a coherent vision for what Scotland can still become. Stuart, if, if I may, just one question, <clears throat> and, and I, I hate to put, put you on the spot like this, but, you know, you represent a Glasgow constituency. On current polling, that is really in jeopardy. Can, I, can, can you tell us how threatened you feel by the current trajectory um, from, you know, an electable point of view? I know my voters, you know, we, we, we returned the biggest yes vote in 2014 in my seat, biggest in Glasgow, biggest SNP vote, biggest Remain vote. And yes, Labour is presenting us with a challenge and Glasgow is iconic uh, for various reasons, not just historically, but also because it's the current and the former First Minister's uh, home cities. Um, but I also have faith that the party can construct a political case that will resonate well on the doorsteps. Uh, we just need to, again, read our own support base, read the country at large, have the ideas and the discipline and determination to win. And absolutely, we can take Labour on. Uh, but just as I said earlier, there's no rule that says they have to come back. There's no rule that says we have to we have to remain in office. So it's it's time to get our, you know, let's not sleep through the wake-up call that Rutherglen has given us. Uh, and just a very final one for you, Stuart. Other than me winning uh, all the possible conference karaoke events that take place uh, over the three days of conference, what does uh, a sort of successful SNP conference look like or feel like for you? What When you walk away on Tuesday afternoon, what will make you think, do you know what, that worked actually? I think if we land in a place on the independence debate, which is the, the dominating issue at this conference, if we land in a place that understands an independence strategy and a general election strategy are two different things. And the independence strategy does need to be a bit more long term. And the general election strategy needs to answer all of those insecurities people are experiencing now. It needs to be rooted in reality in a place that allows us to take on labour uh, allows us to defend our own record in government and allows us to keep building a new coalition for the new political times. If, however, we don't do that, then I will walk away a bit downbeat. But I think we can do that. I think it can answer the big questions around public services, climate change, migration, technology, all of these things, and get an independent strategy that is properly strategic, then it will be a good conference. Stuart, thank you very Stuart. much indeed. Thank you for joining us. And Jeff and Andy, thank you. Thank you all for such an interesting discussion on so many different things. Uh, but particularly to you, Stuart, thank you for your time. Anytime. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.